0: And then finally, one night, I had a dream of how I was going to kill myself. I was going to go to my favorite fishing pond, and I was going to jump in because I don't know how to swim. Peace world, easy world,
1: your man Aunt Boogie. Don't worry about the name, get used to the voice. And it's another episode of Keeping the Towel. Thank you so much for tuning in, rocking, and vibing with me as always. And ladies and gentlemen, it's a new second. It's a new minute. It's a new hour. It's a new day. It's a new week. It's a new month, or I should say just another month for us. But ladies and gentlemen, that means it's another round for us to step into the ring and make sure that we are still in this fight with life. But ladies and gentlemen, in this gym, I'm not by myself. I got another incredible sparring partner with me. Ladies and gentlemen, all the way from Iowa, my good man, Scott Daly. Scott are you in the building, good sir?
0: I am in the building, ready to go. First time I ran as far without getting breathing
1: Love it, love it. So, ladies and gentlemen, we gonna welcome Scott to the gym. So, Scott, this is how this goes. I need you to make sure you get your mouth guard in your mouth, get your hands wrapped, get your gloves on, get your grind guard in, and make your way to the ring. Get in your last set of instructions. And I need you and I to come to the center of the ring. It's Aunt Boogie and Scott. We touch gloves because the round, the spar session, has officially started. Let's get it. Let's get it. Let's go. Uh, Alright, Scott, let's turn the dials back in the time machine to 19 summon. And you just let us know where did it all start for Scott? Well,
0: it all started for Scott. Yeah, you know, I want to go back to when I was uh, about five years old. Um, I mean, with my story, I've battled with mental health issues for a majority of my life. And I think I pinpoint back to when I was five years old, where as a kid, we all had those dreams of being, you know, the quarterback throwing a touchdown or the baseball player hitting the home run. And I had those dreams too, but those dreams became an obsession. and. I developed a really big chip on my shoulder to where I had to prove to the world that I was going to be the greatest. And you hear that with professional athletes, they had similar dreams like that. The issue with me, though, that made it different for me was, and I guess the best way to illustrate it is, you know, the cartoons you see, they have, like, an angel on one shoulder and the devil on a, on another shoulder. Uh-huh. Well, I have two devils that kind of that actually did lead and it, it led to a bad case of perfectionism. It took a lot of things that as a kid you should have fun with. You should have fun with sports. You should have fun with other things. And I never really had that because it was always something more. It had to be something more. It had to be something bigger. And then it, had, then it went from that to it had to be perfect. That's not fun when you're younger because when you're younger, sometimes you really just don't know what you're going through or how to think about it. So I held a lot of stuff in, so that's where it started, but I was always a sports fan, loved baseball, loved football, I played basketball as a kid as well, I ran track a year, I played three years of tennis, so I kept myself busy, but always in my head, that's never really what I wanted to be. I was someone that loved reading, I loved learning, I loved math, and fifth grade i held my school record i did 100 multiple problems in 25 seconds god bless you god bless yeah you, I, I loved it i mean in fourth grade i was reading physics books i was doing physics problems i was reading anatomy books in fifth grade it was just whatever i could get my hands on i was reading it and i loved it but then i realized well people are going to think i'm a nerd scott
1: can i just be up with you man if you and i were in fifth grade together you and i would have never been friends just gonna tell you that right now no way because you would have been the guy to ask hey can you just do my homework for
0: me and make me look smart yeah sorry to tell see you no that's cool (laughs) at least you're real with it because no i i you know there were people like that i mean but yeah i like well i'm gonna be a nerd i can't be a nerd so instead of focusing on things that i Enjoy doing it instead of like, well, everyone loves sports, so I'll just learn everything that I can about sports. And not only will I learn it, but I'll be really great at it, it'll just work. And I became so educated in sports, it was ridiculous. I remember in high school, my freshman year, I probably checked out the baseball encyclopedia probably about 50 times. Mm. Um, I knew the thing front and back, I knew stats from from teams in the 1930s, and I I could go into a conversation with someone, and someone could say something that would trigger something, and I could immediately rattle off some sports stats about that, and I thought it was really cool, but what I didn't realize was, I was starting to become the thing that I didn't want to become, because after a while, I started to become the sports nerd, and I never wanted to be the nerd. So, so to try to get rid of being the nerd, I was like, well, then I'll just be a superstar athlete. I got caught from the basketball team my freshman sophomore year. The coach told my mom my junior year to not even have me try out because he would never pick me on, on the team. Whoa. That became not an option. I tried to run trash. I was a long jumper. I was fairly decent. My school was big enough. We had a freshman, sophomore, junior varsity and varsity team. As a freshman, I made the sophomore team and actually participated in the conference indoor meet that year. So I I was well on my way, but I hurt my knee partway through the season, so I couldn't long jump anymore. Uh, so they put me on sprints and relays, and I was not built for speed. So that really didn't work. That did not work out for me at all. The only time I I was really fast at running is getting to the dinner table. So, <laughs> so I decided after my freshman year, I had some friends that were playing tennis. And I was like, okay, well, this, this should be interesting. And that thought my mind of, well, okay, well, I'm going to be on the tennis team. But what am I going to do? What am I going to do that's going to make me famous? What am I going to do that's going to make people real? Because eventually what I wanted, when I graduated from high school, I wanted people to say, dang, that's Scott Neely. He was awesome and so looking around i realized that our tennis team had never had a winning record and they never had anyone play for the conference championship in singles now this is me picking up the sport of tennis as a sophomore in high school and i've never played before so at that point i made my goal well i'm going to be the first guy to play for a conference championship in this school's history so Setting the ball really, really high for that. And it led to three years of, and I'll just admit it, it was three years of pure hell. Why so? Physically, I pushed myself way too hard. Again, when I look at sports, what I've realized with sports is a lot of it is genetic. If you win the genetic lottery, you're going to be well-equipped to make it farther in sports. My dad swam and he played He played a little bit of baseball, but never really at a high level. I had one cousin on my mom's side of the family that was a wrestler, but neither side, not a lot of athletes on, on that. So when I look back at myself, my body was not built for a physical pounding. And that's exactly what I did to myself. During the summer, I would be out playing four or five hours a day in 96, 97 degree heat. I remember there was nights from practice, I literally crawled home because I could barely walk because I just tried so hard. And not only physically, but mentally, people that were my friends, I was competing against. And we weren't really that great of friends during the tennis season because we were all trying to get a higher position on the team, and it led to a lot of fights. I can't remember how many times I almost got into fist fights with guys that were my friends over there. It was a constant strain and I remember there was one time in the summer, and I remember there's this one kid that I always beat, just never had a problem with them, just beat him all the time and I, he called me up one day and wanted to play and I really didn't want to, but I was like, you know what, I'll go play him because I beat him every time anyway. I go over there and he beat me and it didn't mean anything. It was in the middle of the summer. There were no coaches. It wasn't practice. It wasn't anything and it broke my world. I remember I hit it as long as I could, but the second I knew he wasn't around as I was walking home, I started falling i'm a junior in high school at this point and i'm bawling my eyes out and i walk in and my mom's like well, what's wrong with you and i'm like i lost and i'll never forget this i guess i to talk about my parents real quick before i tell you what she said my parents were they were supportive in my sports but they never pushed me like i said they were athletic so sports really weren't a big thing to them i i guess they just assumed it was something that i liked doing a lot of times they really didn't know what was going on in my head so i walk inside she asked me what's going on i said i lost this kid and she looked at me and she goes i can't believe you lost to him <laughs> and that just that just crushed me i remember i went upstairs i cried for like another hour it's like It broke my world over, over something that really didn't mean anything at all. And the bad thing is, the way my mind works is, okay, well, I guess I'm just going to have to show her, and I'm going to have to show him. So for the next two years, I never lost to him again. And I started to work harder and practice harder, and I would get sprained ankles, pulled hamstrings. And instead of resting like I should... I just kept playing through it. And eventually, it got to my senior year of high school. We got to the conference tournament. I went in unseeded, so I had to play an extra match to actually get into the to the tournament. I won that one, played the number four seeded guy, beat him, went up against the number two seed in, in the tournament, and this, this guy was a killer. I shouldn't have had a chance at all, and I somehow won. Mm. And that got me to the conference title match, which was the ultimate goal. Now, that was 17 year old Scott. Now I'm 44, and I can look back and I realize when you go into a tournament, what is your ultimate goal in a tournament?
1: To win the yes, whole thing. To
0: win the tur is to win the tournament. I went into this tournament uh, of a goal, just getting to the title match, because I thought everywhere, oh my god, he gave me this great accomplishment, no one's ever done it at, at this school you know. and it was exactly what I wanted I win the semi-final, I have a couple hours in between before the title match and all the like pressure for the last three years just like lifted off of me the problem was I went into the to the title match against the guy that I should have won and he wiped the floor with me because I had no motivation. I didn't want to be there. It was like my goal was accomplished. So that was the Saturday. So I get to school on Monday, and usually if there's weekend sports, they announce the results over the intercom. So finally, it was going to be my big moment. Three years in the making, I worked on this. Also, we had a small town paper in my town that would cluster results. I'm like, okay, well, this is going to be awesome on monday it's gonna have that in there this will be great everyone's gonna read about it and they didn't even mention me on the announcement no one at school said anything to me the only person at school that did was my spanish teacher and that was just because he was my my tennis coach my junior year, the year before so i had the the this moment filled up in my mind, and it was gonna be great. It was like I was gonna be a hero, and then it was nothing. And I and I kind of looked and like, well, now what? And the bad thing was that week we had our regionals to qualify for state. I went in seeded fourth. I I should have at least gotten to the second round of the tournament. I played a kid that I that I'd beaten twice already that year, and got absolutely destroyed because I. I had no motivation, but I was crushed because the one thing that I wanted to accomplish, I did, and
1: it didn't give me what I wanted. Now we come out from Scott in high school. Scott now goes into college, into the real world now. What was that like Mm -hmm. for Scott in his 20s?
0: Well, so it started with, uh, I went to a small trade school called the American Institute of Commerce for Radio Broadcasting. At that point, I figured, you know what? Sports isn't going to be a thing for me, but I certainly can. I've always liked radio and everything. So I'll be this great, super popular, rich DJ. So I go to school there. They have a radio broadcasting program. I go there to be a DJ. My third week there, I get asked, like, hey, um, you went to this high school, right? I go, yeah. Well, we're doing their football game on Friday night do you want to go be the color commentator since you know the school?" And I mean, for me, it didn't matter. I mean, I got into the game for free, so I was like, sure, I'll go. Went there, did the game, came back that Monday, and immediately I was asked, like, so, how many games have you done on the radio? And that was my first time. Like, no, you sound like you've been doing it for 10 years. You're lying to us. Like, no, really, I've never done it before. They give me a blank schedule. They go, "Here's the rest of our high school and college games we're doing for the football season. Do as much as you want." <laughs> nice
1: so, one. But Scott, yeah. did you realize something there that the validation you did not get from your tennis match back in high school, you got the validation at that moment? Did you did you recognize that correlation or no at the time?
0: No, I did. I didn't. I was like. And the only thing that clicked in my head is, I might actually be good at this, maybe even better than being a DJ, so let me run with this. So I did every Friday and Thursday for the next eight weeks, I was, I was doing high school football, and Saturdays I was doing small college football. You know how the NBA has has the G League? Well, back then, it was called the CBA, the Continental Basketball Association. I'm very familiar with that, yep. Our station at the college, we covered the Quad City Thunder. So I basically became the main guy doing Quad City Thunder. So here I am, 18 years old, doing professional basketball, basically. And then in the summer, we did Quad City River Bandits Baseball. They were the minor league single-A affiliate for the Minnesota Twins. I would mm-hmm. do it minor league baseball at a young age, so I got a lot of experience, and I just started build up. Like I could get really good at this, but I wasn't. I still wasn't getting the validation from people that I wanted. But then I used to listen to a, a sports station in town called uh, KJOC, KJOC, and I always kind of thought, you know, maybe I could get a show there with it's so one of the upperclassmen at school had a job there and he was leaving because he got a new job somewhere else and gave me his job, so I got my foot in the door. So I started working, just doing behind the scenes stuff, I, I edited interviews, I produced games, did everything I could, worked my way up the ladder to where at the age of 20 I was running the station. I was doing the afternoon talk show, stuff that someone at 20 years old, because at the time, where I was at, it was a top 150 market in the United States. People that young never got that opportunity, and I had a chance to do it. And the bad thing was, you would think that would have been enough validation to me, but there wasn't a day that didn't go by. And, uh, And throughout the rest of my radio career, which was 14 years, there wasn't a day that didn't go by where I didn't think the next day I was going to get fired why did you have that apprehension no matter how good of a show I did or how great of making good points or people I would call into the show would would say you know hey that was actually a good point or whatever it could be it was never enough nobody could tell me anything I couldn't take a compliment nobody could tell me anything because of my head that voice in my head is like, no, Scott, that, that's not good enough. That okay, that's fine, but look at these five other things you've got stuff on. Mm. So,
1: do you feel it was the battle or that lost ring of perfection that you were constantly chasing that started to become sort of a detriment to you?
0: It, it was because not only in my career, but in my life just as a whole, it became. Everything had to be perfect. I had to have the perfect friendships. I had to have the perfect this. If I was gonna date someone, that had to be the perfect relationship. And ultimately with that, it's like, okay. In my family, there is, there is a history of multiple marriages. And I saw that and I'm like, well, I'm never gonna do that. I'm gonna get married once. It's gonna be absolutely perfect. And everything is going to be great. So not only did it, it was a detriment to my career, because every day I would go in and basically try to reach this unattainable level that nobody could reach. But then in my own personal life, outside of work, every, it was like I was trying to build this utopian world for myself that, that didn't exist and there was no chance of it existing.
1: Why were you fighting to build this utopian world?
0: It's as weird as it sounds, these voices in my head that were leading me through all this, that's what they were telling me that I needed. I needed that to happen so that people could see it. Wow, look at that light. And you know, I can look at it now and realize even if I would have reached that and somebody and people would say that, that probably wouldn't have been enough
1: for me either. Scott, you are now an adult you got into you meet a lady you get into this marriage and as you mentioned earlier that you wanted to have a perfect relationship perfect marriage everything had to be perfect take me through what that was like in your in your in your marriage
0: so yeah I, as i said i wanted everything to be perfect but in my mind my, my mind was so scrambled at that point i really didn't know what perfection was so really any any female that showed any sort of attention to me. I kind of just ran with it. So my first marriage, we dated for a couple years, got engaged, and then she broke the engagement off. And then after six months, we got back together, dated another year, and then got married. So she actually lived an hour from where I was working in radio at the time. So I did a lot of driving back and forth, And then finally, after a couple years of us being married, she moved with me. But I guess the the one thing, with this marriage and then moving into my second marriage, the exact same thing happened. I had marriage built up so much in my mind. And if you could tell, very similar to my goal in high school, playing for that conference title in tennis. It's built up in my mind, this is gonna be that great, that crowning moment. And in both of my marriages, very early in the marriage, I looked at him like, "Oh my God, I messed up." What do you mean that you messed up? How? So with marriage, that's your one and only. You know, you you love this person for you know everything. You know, there's it's hard to say There's that it. You gotta have it to, for for a marriage to work. And in both of my marriages, very early in it, I looked at it and I'm like, I care for this person, but I don't have that love that's supposed to be the last of lifetime. Like my parents had. It would be over 40 years they would have been married this year, except my mom passed five years ago uh, to cancer, but they had it. No matter what, they were willing to work through it, and you could tell when they looked at each other, you could tell that they loved each other. I didn't have that at all. When that's what I realized it looked like, dear Lord, I got myself into this lifetime commitment and i wasn't i wasn't in in for the lifetime
1: so would you say that you was in it for the aesthetics of it that it just looks good to everybody on the outside
0: absolutely that's what it was and then after a while it was okay well i don't feel that way but you know what i can make it good i can still make it look good make it feel good It's just not every, you know, nobody has to know that I don't have those feelings. I'll keep all of that inside. I'll just make it look good.
1: Mm,
0: Wow. And it goes all the way back to, you know, I wanted to build that perfect world. And the marriage started to go bad. We decided to have a a child. I guess we figured that was going to make things better. And we had my daughter, Alexis. And at that point my wife wanted to move back to where she lived with and pretty much I had a choice. She said you could stay here, stay in radio. At this point I was working I was on the road doing sports over two hundred nights a year. I was always gone. Barely had any time for anything. I missed birthdays, I missed holidays, I missed everything. My my twenties were basically me working in radio. I did a lot. So it was like it stayed there. And and she said, you know, with your schedule, you're only going to be able to see Alexis on Sunday, but you're going to be so tired. I mean, is that even going to be quality time? And that hit me. It's like, well, yeah, this is my daughter. She has to know who I am, and she never will if I, if I only see her on Sundays so the one thing in my life at this point i felt in radio even though i felt like i was going to be fired every day i still felt i'm good at this this must be what god wants me to do with my life but at that point it was radio or my daughter and i chose my daughter so i moved to des moines uh, with my wife and alexis and started working customer service jobs started working any job and nothing made me happy. I started to get depressed and the depression just started getting worse and worse and worse and it started to snowball to where the first marriage ended. She left me, you know, now I understand what she, she told me, she's like, you're not the man that I married. And now then I can reflect back on it. She's absolutely right. I wasn't the man that she married. Plus I was, I probably wasn't the man she was supposed to marry. Mm. So she left with Alexis, and that really jump-started my depression even worse. With the Scott Daly mindset at that point, still needing to have a perfect life. Well, now I failed at marriage, which I said I'd never do. So in my mind, it's like, okay, well, you know what? Let's jump right back on the horse, let's find someone new, and let's make that relationship better than this one. So I got into a relationship way faster than what I should have. And I met who eventually became my second wife. We dated for a couple years, ended up moving in together. And then we got married. And again, it happened. And one day I woke up and um, I teach a Bible study on Wednesday nights at at my church now. And I said this last night, it was part of the, I can't remember where at in the lesson it was, but I said probably the worst feeling I've had in my life was in my two marriages where I woke up, looked at my wife and said, dear God, I made a mistake. I don't love you the way that I should to be married to you. Uh. So it was very tough. So I had my mental health issues. She had her issues. I was trying to fix mine. And then finally I realized, I just made the decision of, let me try to fix her. Once I fix her, then I can go back to myself. Uh. And that is a terrible decision.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: With my mental health, I couldn't keep jobs. So we had money problems and I was trying to do anything I can. I was, I was going to church. I was going to a program called uh, Celebrate Recovery. We had a group for fear, depression, and anxiety. So I was trying to, to do what I could to try to, you know, muscle myself through this. But it just overcame me and finally I you got to a point to where I wasn't i wasn't myself. I looked in the mirror. I hated who I saw. I hated my life. I hated my job. And one day, I i, I, I said it out loud. I go, you know what, Scott? Maybe it would just be better for everyone in your life if you were dead. And no matter how rough the things I've had up to that point, I never once thought that at all. So I immediately told my wife. I was like, hey, I need to go be seen by somebody. I can't have this. I know that this is not a good thought. She didn't help me. She didn't want to help me. She didn't want to take me anywhere. I ended up calling someone that I went to church with and they took me to be evaluated. So I got evaluated. I got put on some meds but things didn't improve. Things started to get worse, and I made another bad decision, which I thought at the time was a good decision Was I posted a, a video on my Facebook page of me just very real. And I even said, I've had the thought of maybe everyone's life would be better if I was glad. Well, my ex-wife saw the video, immediately was fearful for the safety of my daughter, and I temporarily lost my rights to her. Couldn't see her. Which was a smart move, because if she would have done this day, I probably would have done the same. You now
1: post this, and your ex-wife sees this, and decides to keep Alexis away from you so that to prevent any type of harm to her. Scott, you're already in this very dark place. What does this do to you now? Admit it worse. In terms of worse, describe a little of it to me. What was this worse like?
0: This was at least the only little bit, the small sliver of happiness I had was when I saw my daughter and now I didn't have that. I really just didn't have any support at all. I had what I was going through at church, but I didn't know. A lot of people were like, well, we can try to help you the best we can, but ultimately you have to do it yourself. You have to fight this and I didn't know how. So it just continued the spiral. I would just sit on the couch for days. I wouldn't say anything. I'd barely eat. And then finally one night, I had a dream of how I was going to kill myself. I was going to go to my favorite fishing pond and I was going to jump in because I don't know how to swim. So at that point, the next day I go to my wife again. I'm like, okay, I've told you that I that I thought it'd be better if I was dead. I now have a dream, and now I, I know how I want to kill myself. Please help. She still did not want to help me. I had to yell and beg her to take me to a hospital, and I ended up spending the night and I got reevaluated again. Ultimately, they gave me more beds and said, you know, you need to find a, need to find a therapist. At the time, I didn't have a job. So I didn't have insurance. So a therapist wasn't, wasn't going to be in the car. So at this point, I had heard what few friends I had, I'd heard all those friends Because people were just tired of me constantly having the same issues. And it makes perfect sense now that it says to me, Scott, you keep coming to us with the same issue. We keep telling you what you need to do. And you just don't do it. Well, why
1: didn't you do it, Scott? Was, was there a reason why you didn't? make the move to therapy of course insurance you could not afford but was it due to fare or something
0: i don't know i honestly don't know why because at this point my mind was so gone i could barely function i i can remember people telling me but in my mind my mind just wasn't processing it to tell me go ahead and do this god so finally we got an eviction notice from the apartment that we were in And at this point, I said, forget it, I've done it. I'm just going to kill myself. And the first person I thought it'd be better for was Alexis. I thought it'd be better for her because she's very young now. That way I'll be dead. She'll have plenty of time to get over it and grow up and she can forget all about. The day I planned on doing it, I got up, I laid down on the couch, waiting for my wife. And my stepdaughter to both leave and then i was going to go do it but then something happened i physically couldn't get off the couch i ended up laying on the couch all day i didn't get up to eat didn't get up to get anything to drink i didn't get up to go to the bathroom it was as if there was somebody sitting next to me holding me down on the couch so that i wouldn't go do that i wanted to do so
1: did you feel that if you did get up to go to the bathroom or did you did get up to go get something to eat, it was a more than likely chance you was going to walk out that door?
0: Yeah, I would have jumped in my car, would have drove the five minutes to the pond, and we wouldn't be having this conversation. You don't get
1: up to do anything. So this plan to delete yourself doesn't
0: happen at the moment. Now what? Well, first I got mad at myself. The first thing I said was, "With well, G Scott, you can't even kill yourself, right? I literally was mad because I didn't get up and kill myself. And then at that point, it just it was one of those things like, you know what, just forget it. My life is always going to suck. I'll just get through it and then die later on. Like I completely just forgot about the whole killing myself. We ended up moving to a new apartment. The second marriage ended and I was asked to leave by my wife's family and I had nowhere to go. I had nowhere to live, I had no money, I had nothing. Only thing I could do was call my dad and he was gracious enough to let me come live with him, which I should have been grateful for. But at this point, I am 43 years old moving in with my dad so that really didn't help matters out but i know i needed somewhere to live i go live with him um i had just started another job at this point lucky for me it was a remote job so i could work from anywhere a lot of times i would just sit there and eat and watch tv and not say much or i would just go in my room and just not say anything i was just flat out depressed at this point i was like well you know what I'm gonna be that 50-year-old man living with his dad, and I just did not know how to dig my
1: way out of it. So Scott, now you're in your father's house, and marriage is done. It's Scott on the couch again. What's going through Scott's head? Take me in that space,
0: Scott. That that Scott is just like I gotta figure this out. Like I have to figure this out. I, I like you know Scott, you're smart enough. You should be able to figure this out. I finally just I don't know why but I I knew that I had to start to build myself back up because, again, I was looking at the mirror and I did not like what I saw. And I remember the biggest thing that turned things around for me was, and it was just random, I I can't remember why it had this song on my phone, but it was a song by a group called Fireflight and it was a song called All I Need to Be. And that's basically what the song is about is, is that, it was basically a, a strong saying to God that you are all that you need to be. You don't need to be more. And it just hit me. The first time I heard it, I started crying. And I hadn't cried in several years at that point. Because it was just like, you know, God would speak to me saying, hey, you know, you're all right. You don't have to be a superstar. In my eyes, you're okay. And it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks and i started to listen to that song every night before i went to bed and i started to build my confidence back up um after a while i actually started to smile i started to come out of my room i started to have conversations with my dad i started to you know i started to get things moving in the right direction i got a car so i was able to to do more things and things were moving in a good direction. But I've up to this point, I've been my own worst enemy and I decided to make a decision that I probably shouldn't have held off on. And I said, you know what? I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I'm going to start dating again. Because the Scott Daly way of thinking is, you know what? I may have failed twice at it, but I'm not going to fail a third time. So I started dating someone and things were going great and then one night she called me up and she said you know i feel nothing for you i don't want to talk to you or see you anymore but
1: scott you jump into this but you didn't even work on yourself so basically you were repeating
0: what went down last time exactly (laughs) but in my mind i thought you know what i got this figured out now i'm starting to feel better about myself i can i can do this gotcha yeah it's right in with the exact same pattern so at that point i remember my dad i started yelling my dad came to the room he's like what's wrong with you and i told him he's like okay well you're better off and i said no you don't understand i'm tired of this i'm tired of living here yeah i'm just i'm just gonna get back into radio it was the only thing that i was ever good at in my life so that's what i decided to do I knew of a station, I live in uh, a town called Knoxville, Iowa. I knew the station in Knoxville, they had actually offered me the job here four times previously throughout the last 10 or so years, and I turned it down all four times. So out of a desperate attempt, I emailed the general manager and said, hey, do you have a position for me? I'm ready to come. Month and a half later, I was moved into Knoxville, ready to start radio. And I thought at this point, things were moving in the right direction. I'm back in my own place. I'm back in radio. We're ready to rock and roll. Life's going to be good from this point. If you remember earlier in my radio career, I never had a life. In the holidays, I missed holidays. I was always working. 20 year old Scott was okay with that. That was awesome because I had stuff to do I was I was working towards a goal well a 43 year old got immediately did not like that at all mm. I did not have a life I was I was working news, so I was on call 24/7 I got called out to cover fires at midnight I had no time even when I had my daughter Alexis, I was always worried of being called out. I could never fully have fun with her. I wasn't doing very good at the job either. And it just kept building up and building up. And then as much as I hate to say it, I went to bed one night and I said, this sucks. This was a mistake. I wish I would never wake up. I wish I was dead. But Scott, you're back in your element. You're
1: back to doing something that you enjoy doing. And you wish you weren't even in that. Did you see that wow this gold this pot of gold that I wanted really was not the pot
0: of gold? Was that the headspace you were in? At that at that point when I went to bed that like no. I wake up the next morning immediately scared to death because I had that thought. At that point I'm like, I have no friends in this town because I have no time to meet friends. I don't have a support system. I I, I don't have anything. And the only thing that pops in my head is, you know what? Let's call some churches to see if some churches have some programs, so I can at least get around some people. So that's what I did. I emailed, I called every church in this area that I can that I could find contact information for, and I waited, and I didn't hear from anybody. And at that point, I started to think this is not good. Until Wednesday night, I got a call from a pastor, Dave, at New Journey Church here in Knoxville. He basically said, well, we don't really have any programs, but we have a Wednesday night Bible study tonight. like, how about we do this? I'll be at the front door at 6 o'clock, show up, I'll meet you there, and we'll have a talk. If not, that's fine, and I hope everything goes well for you. I hung up the phone with them and immediately started fighting with myself if I was going to go or not. Which, you know, the headspace that I'm in at that point, it really doesn't make any sense. Here's someone reaching out to, that could possibly help me, or at least reach out to say, hey, let's just talk, and I didn't want to do it. And I remember I got in the car to drive to the church, and the whole time, I, was, I, I got plenty of time, I can turn back around and go home. I don't have to do this, but I did. I showed up, I walked in the door, and something just hit me. Something felt different. And as I sat there and talked to this person that I'd only talked to on the phone for a couple minutes, I dumped my whole life story on him. And for the first time in a long time, I felt really good. And he introduced me to a few people at the church. They started the Bible study, the Wednesday night Bible study, they have a video and then we go into a discussion. Something in the video just hit me and I started falling. It had been a long time since I cried. And at the end of the at the end of the the night, as I was walking out the door, Pastor Dan said, our service is at 10 o'clock on Sunday. Please come. So I did cried through the whole service at the end of the service he had an altar call for anyone that wanted to be saved. And there was no hesitation. I walked up there and I was the only one in front of the whole church that walked up there. I just felt at peace at that point. So that was Sunday, I go back to my radio job on Monday, and I'm flat out miserable, and it was about 11 o'clock in the morning, when I hear a voice that I had never heard, but I knew who it was, Mm. and it says, Scott, you do not have to work in radio anymore, this is not what I want for you, you never liked this anyway find another job I have something more for you and that just hit me like a ton of bricks because I knew deep in my heart as much as as it seemed like fun to me it never really was I was always scared to be inspired I was always well what's the next thing I'm going to do I need to go to I need to get tapes together so I can go to a bigger station and, and do all that and I realized yeah I never enjoyed this at all and the phrase of you were never meant to do this. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. And I immediately started applying for other jobs. I got a phone interview the next week. Three and a half weeks later, I had left the station and I had started. I had started the uh, remote uh, position that I'm in now. It took a little bit, but then I just realized for 14 years I talked myself into. I love this. This is great. This is what I'm meant to do. And it was never what was in the plans for me to begin with.
1: Where is Scott now?
0: As I said, I am now leading the Wednesday night Bible study at my church. Uh, We just finished our third week of a 10-week study that I'm leading. I am currently taking ministry classes through the Iowa School of Ministry. I've passed two classes already. I'm working towards my certification. That you. Yeah, God gave me a huge pull in the direction of ministry. Thanks to uh, Pastor Dave and the people that I have at that church. They've really encouraged me, have really helped me really turn things around. Um, I now know who Scott Daly is. I can go back all those years and Scott Daly's a nerd. <laughs> Scott Daly loves me. Scott Daly loves researching I, I, I've done so many random Bible studies since I started at the church Pastor Dave a couple of times had to tell me you need to slow down <laughs> you're trying to learn too much too soon but I can't get enough of it the most recent episode of my podcast and in that podcast I talk about outside of church and work where my hobbies i've really forced myself throughout my life into things that i thought i needed to do or thought i would enjoy and realizing who i am i've always wanted to do archery so i'm looking into doing that i've always wanted to hunt by if my mom would let me rob guns so i eventually want to go out on a hunt I want to do biking. I want to play pickleball. I have a lot of things that I've that now I finally realize I don't have to force myself into a career or into hobbies or into anything that I don't want to do because I might be a nerd, but God loves that nerd. And I have a whole church family now of people that like that nerd too. And now I can look in the mirror at myself and you know what? I like that nerd too. Amen. Scott Daly, why do you
1: keep your towel?
0: I think I keep it now because it keeps me grounded. It keeps me knowing who I am. And you know who really helped me figure out who I am? Is my daughter Alexis. Because I look at that kid at 11 years old and know that that's what I should have been at 11 years old. As a matter of fact, I look at that 11-year-old, and I'm 44 now. And that's what I should be. She loves anime. She has her own YouTube channel. She likes a lot of things that would make her a nerd at her school. And she's even told me there's no one that really likes anime at her school. And she does not care. That's who she is. That's what she likes. And she doesn't let anyone dictate that. So that's why I keep my towel. Because... I want to be the best Scott that I can be, not only for myself, but so that I can be an example for her. Well folks,
1: there you have it. Scott just dropped a lot of gems on you right there. Scott before we hop out of here, if there's any last words you want to go ahead and give, my man, the floor is yours.
0: I just can't appreciate the time that you've given me. This is something that I've always wanted to do now is to be able to tell my story so that it can help and inspire people to realize if you look at yourself in the mirror, you may not like yourself now, but continue to work at it. Don't stop. Don't give up. Keep fighting. Because you can beat it. You can like that. You just need to realize that person inside that you've always wanted to be but kept hidden because you didn't think it was going to be accepted, it will and it can be accepted. You just have to take the baby steps to move in that direction.
1: Scott, thank you, thank you so much for taking the time out to hang out with me. And my good man, it is official that this spar session is now over. So, I'm gonna put all of Scott's details and his website and his podcast. His podcast is called Baby Steps. You gotta go out there and check it, folks. I'm telling you, it's like you're listening to a journal. Like, seriously, it's like you're listening to him read a journal. And and I promise you, when I tell you he is real, he's real and raw, real and raw, you're going to hear anything but the truth coming out of it. It is nothing but pure truth and humility coming out of that podcast. I'm going to put all that in the description box. Make sure you go and check him out scott thank you for joining me ladies and gentlemen you already know how this game goes the round is officially over and i want you to understand just like scott did he found out in order for him to go ahead and get himself off the mat he had to do that get himself up off the mat and now He's back in the fight again for Scott. Like I always tell you, wipe the blood, wipe the sweat, wipe the tears. But whatever you do, don't throw in your towel. This is your man, Aunt Boogie. I'll check you when I check you. I'll see you when I see you. Alexis. Hi, this is Uncle Boogie Say hello to you. I will check you on another way. Peace.